What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance their gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, a player on Riftwake and a D&D enthusiast. And today's topic is Archfey and Domains of Delight. So, have you heard any of those series of words before? Uh... You mean outside of when we were talking about what episode we're recording? Yes. No. Okay. Would it help if I mentioned that a domain of delight is an opposite to domains of dread? Nope. <laughs> okay. How about what's an archway? Uh, is it anything like an archwizard? Yes. That. What makes a wizard arch? I don't know, hierarchy. Yeah. And what makes a wizard's hierarchy? Bureaucracy. No. Education? Well, partially. But Wealth. with wizards, knowledge is... Power. Unlimited Power. I was on the fence if I was going to say that or not. <laughs> uh, I was hoping you would, but... <laughs> oh, well. But, no, basically what makes something arch in D&D is power. So you've got arch wizards, arch druids, and here, arch A. Now, before I do actually talk through all the stuff written about this, I need to get a rant out of the way because the existence of this in its current form infuriates me. Hey Mitch, what's your opinion on day one DLC? Uh, that they were cutting corners in production and wanting, wanting you to pay for them to finish their, pro- their job. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, finish So job. with that in mind, can you guess what this is? Day one DLC? Uh, yep. So, there is a very short mention in the new book, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, 
that for more information, <laughs> you can buy Domains of Delight on DM's Guild. So this was an additional $8 on DM's Guild, made by Wizards of the Coast, made by the entire creative team. So this is canonical 5th edition D&D. Like, this is, you know, full them. And yet, they didn't put this in Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Instead, they released it on the same day for $8 on DM's Guild. Which is fucking weird and fucking infuriating. They couldn't just put this as like an appendix in the back of like, hey, here's more information on Feywild stuff. Instead, they made it an additional purchase. You fuckers. I mean, it worked. It did. I bought it. And honestly, part of what pisses me off Yes, I bought it, but it actually still has freaking good information in it, too. So I just have to kind of grumble about it for a bit. But I can't say that it's, you know, a useless thing that you shouldn't buy because it actually has useful information. So I am more than slightly irked, though. But yeah, so this is a Wizards of the Coast product sold on DMsGuild.com for $8, I believe. And the document is titled Domains of Delight, but it does also include a lot of information on Archfey. So I did mention a moment ago when I was questioning you that it is the mirror of a domain of dread. So quick refresher for most people who aren't me. Uh, <laughs> domains of dread were introduced in the well, actually I guess it isn't really a new book anymore but uh shit time when did that come out 1962 back in my day but anyway uh the Ravenloft book was I don't remember if that was like this year or last year just 2020 and 2021 have just extended for Feywild levels of time dilation, I'll put it that way. But anyway, in, you know, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, they talk extensively about Domains of Dread, which is basically demiplanes that contains dark lords that shape the realm that they are within. And the Domain of Delight is the inverse version in the Feywild, where instead of a dark lord, it is an archfey that is the individual who is in power within this domain. So it is honestly a bit hard to describe because it is something that is shaped by the person in charge of it, but is also still a part of the Feywild. It's not quite as disconnected as Domains of Dread are typically described as. So think of it almost like a plane within a plane, or for non-D&D talk, maybe think of it more like a you know city within a country, potentially. Like It is 
a part of the Feywild, but is something that is directly shaped by the Archfey, who is in charge of the area. So before I get into too many of the you know hard details, as I am wont to do, uh, there is also quite a lot of pages that just talk about the Feywild itself and just how a lot of the rules work, you know, hospitality, the, you know, the summer and winter courts, all that, you know, Fey stuff. So some of it is in, is in Witchlight, a lot of it isn't. So it does go into more detail than is in the book. So again, why they couldn't incorporate this, I, I honestly just don't know. One thing that I do want to also point out as part of the description is something that should be incorporated by DMs everywhere, really. So there's a section called Spells in the Feywild. Spells that manifest one way in the material plane might do so differently in the Feywild. A magic missile spell might take the form of a giggling sprite that materializes next to the caster and fires off a barrage of tiny glowing arrows and then disappears in a puff of sparkling fairy dust. And then it gives a couple of other just suggestions of how spells can be cosmetically reinterpreted in the Feywild. It's that last prepositional phrase, though, that I have issue with in the Feywild. Spells can look different. That's just something that should happen more. If you want to have your magic missiles be purple, or if you want to just have like all of your characters' magic just be purple, just because you like that, and maybe your character, like maybe that's just a quirk. Like maybe you are, you know, a warlock, and just some part of your pact is just that like all warlocks of this patron, their magic turns purple which is a thing that is used to just identify warlocks of that patron to make it, you know, impossible to hide that you are just someone under their domain. So changing the looks of magic without changing any types of mechanics is something you can do. And you can just hand wave that shit. Like, if you want to describe spells differently, if you want to describe you know, something silly or something dark. You can just do that. I mean, hell, a DM can, you know, also just change or approve changes to the mechanics of spells if you really wanted to do that. If you wanted to have, like, a magic missile that dealt necrotic instead of force damage. Again, it's D&D. This is a very open-ended game. And yet, changes to the existing spells is shockingly rare. Like, I am kind of curious. Is that something that you've ever really seen actually done in a game, Mitch? Uh, doesn't DNR do that quite a bit, actually? And that's one of the things that sets them apart, is that they actually do make use of, like, homebrew spells or changing spells or describing how things look or, you know, some of the, you know, non-mechanical cosmetic effects. And honestly, that's one of the things that does set Dungeons and Randomness apart as a podcast is that they do make use of that. But I'm curious, just in games you've played in, is that something you've actually seen DMs or players try to do? Well, statistically, you've played in most of the games I've played in, so. <sighs> and for listeners at home, 
You do the plug. You're better at it. What? No, I, I'm looking oh, for I, a yes or I, I no thought, from you. I thought you were waiting for a plug. Uh, oh. Yeah, didn't didn't she do it for the Hornbrew Brothers? Oh, okay. God damn it. People who are not me. If you see people who are not me do that. Oh. Uh, well, I know Caden tries, but that's usually just because he doesn't know he what does? he's doing. <laughs> not on oh, purpose. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, describing spell effects wrong is not, I'm not including that. <laughs> Then no. <laughs> uh, but that really is something that, you know, theoretically at least, is something easy to do, something that players can do. And honestly, players listening to this, this is one of those few occasions where I would say it is better to ask forgiveness than permission. If you want to just try describing, like, how your spells look or describing just the effects of the magic that you're casting just do it most dms will just smile and nod like most dms just aren't going to care about the cosmetics so just do that and the fact that most players just don't is just kind of unfortunate and for the most part probably down to most players just not thinking about that as an option but it is you can you should uh, anyway, uh, sorry about that. Bit of a tangential rant, but uh, if you're a regular listener, you know that that's just how I do. All right. Anyway, so it does go on to actually have a rather significant am just amount of more information, more than is in the DMG, more than is in Wild or Witchlight. I keep wanting to say Wild Mount for some reason. So, but no, Witchlight. But yeah, lots of Feywild information about like the weather, just some of the weird shit that can happen. A uh, lot of information about how because of just the non-logic of the Feywild about how to incorporate Feywild guides to help you just to navigate the area or to get information or just a lot of just the rules of the Feywild. Now, there are a few details here that I actually do like and honestly probably will make use of myself. So there's a whole section also on just the Fey outlook where they talk about like the Fey opinion of like hospitality and gifts. And they do talk about some of like the, the classic examples of just like, you know, a child that might get raised in the Feywild or just, a lot of just kind of interesting details of how you might make use of things a little bit more directly. But the next section is even more direct and potential, well, not numbers, but just more direct facts and such, which is, of course, pay contracts. So I love me some contracts. That was a rather extensive rant talking about uh, I think it was devils back in the day where i went on that i want to say 20 minute tangent just on how much i love devil contracts but here they actually go into a rather significant depth of fey contracts so how powerful a fey contract can be how powerful the fey themselves just needs to be how powerful the contract itself is what they're able to give in exchange what they want from you and I'll be honest again, 
I don't like abstract things in D&D as much. That just is a personal bias of mine. Like the idea of like, oh, they're going to, you know, take your memory of, you know, some moment when you were happy in exchange for this, you know, minor boon or gift or whatever the case is. Like that level of abstractness is very much not my forte, but the fact that it is at least written out here to give examples for people like me who can't really make up stuff like that on my own is something that I do appreciate. Because if I did want to incorporate the Archfey and just Fey contracts more significantly into my games or just my world in general, this is a pretty good resource, in all honesty, about how to do that, about what I might want to do and what I might just have on offer. Because again, if I say that, okay, yes, I'm making a deal with an Archfey, like, what would you even contemplate as like the the boon like what are you giving in exchange for that like how would you conceive of such a thing mm -hmm. yeah pretty much but here they actually do have very explicit you know greater contracts and lesser contracts depending on like the power of the fae that you have you know you're working with here and it does spell out some of the possibilities so I'm not going to go through all of them, but there's a couple here that just are fun to think about, honestly. Major magic item. You gain a very rare magic item that's yours to keep, or a legendary magic item for 5d12 days. Now that is pretty damn cool. The idea of getting a temporary magic item is actually pretty awesome. Because there's a couple of ways that you could kind of play with that idea, especially if you do consider, you know, fey and bargains and all that kind of stuff. So does that mean that the temporary magic item just disappears after that time elapses? Or do you have to physically return the item back to them in that time period? Both of those have rather interesting storytelling opportunities to know that you have the time limit on your quest that it'll just vanish after that time or the idea of if you don't return the item in after that time period elapses then you have failed to uphold your end of the bargain and again both versions of that make for potentially interesting storytelling in my opinion and that is one of those situations where i would say it would just depend on the situation don't have only one or the other just use both of the options and just make it situational and honestly that could be the kind of thing like if you really wanted to play like the asshole angle that is so very very common with depictions of the fey then you might even have the temporary magic item and the player doesn't know which version they're dealing with and that could lead to some in-character stress. But even just besides that one, there's honestly quite a few nifty other possibilities on this list. Time displacement. You and your companions can return to the material plane up to 50 years from now without having aged a day. So 
again, that can have a rather significant amount of interesting story potential. So option one, you can also do Peter Pan in the Feywild because all of that Neverland time shenanigans that seems to exist can also be done canonically in the D&D Feywild. So if you want to play like a Peter Pan style adventure or campaign, you can do that. Or on the other hand, if you want to just have this be a thing, NPCs. So every so often, like it is a, I wouldn't say common trope, but it is definitely a thing in a lot of anime and in a lot of other types of fantasy where you have like the immortal child. So if you do have just a child in the material plane, but who's actually 50 years older than they appear due to time spent in the Feywild, like you might have just like a 10 year old who is just like the arch wizard of, you know, some city or, you know, magical school location, whatever the fuck you want. But they're just physically a 10 year old child after having spent decades in the Feywild to hone their magic. Like there's a lot of ways that you could just play with the idea of that kind of time displacement. And honestly, the lesser gifts are a bit more disappointing. So that gives you fey kinship for 5d6 days. You gain either the fey ancestry trait or the speak with small beasts trait common among forest gnomes. So the fact that it is just for 5d6 days is a smidge disappointing, honestly. Like, if you, like, for that, I would say just speak with small beasts. That's something that could be rather entertaining story-wise. And that's generally not going to be a massive mechanical benefit in most D&D games. So I would say just have that just be a thing that they just get the trait. But most of these do seem to just be rather limited. And again, they have the magic item thing, but instead of major, it's a minor magic item where you just get a common magic item or an uncommon magic item for 5d6 days. So again, just rewind five minutes and you have my opinion on that one. Another one here, proficiency. Gain proficiency in a skill of your choice for 2d4 days. So this one, again, the time limit does irk me, but that does actually make some sense if you consider like, a lot of the Tales of the Fae and just the Fae Wild in D&D does have the idea of your memory of your experiences there might fade and that there's all kinds of memory magic floating about. So that does make some sense thematically, but I still just grumble at that kind of time limit. So I did also mention a moment ago of the price of contract, of what the Fae wants. And this is another thing that just has quite a lot of implications. And some of these are, of course, classic things just from literature and also just D&D history as well. So for greater contracts, take the next child born in your family and raise the child in the Feywild. So classic, classic thing. A lot of storytelling, 
potential, there's definitely some fun to be had with that idea. Another one that I like, though, the completion of three quests, each of which you must agree to before the contract is formed. So that's pretty awesome. And this is, again, the kind of thing that could be the setup for a relatively long game. If you have either just one person who is the kind of... Uh, maybe party face is not the word I want to use for this. Like maybe a patron of the party who is just under a fake contract and that there are just these three quests that need to be completed. Or actually, let me rephrase. Instead of just having an individual, you can have the group appear to uh, agree to a contract. And so the group then is just agreeing to undertake three quests that you do agree to in advance and then you get whatever is the payout that y'all agree on. That gives you an immediate start to a campaign. So that may very easily be the setup, because again, three quests, it doesn't say anything at all about the difficulty. So you can have just three quests that are just of middling difficulty. You can have an escalation of an easy, medium, and very hard quest, and that that is something that might just shape the entire campaign is that you just have these necessary tasks to be completed at some point. And again, because it is a fey bargain, this is the kind of thing that is very flexible from the DM perspective. It is completely up to you if you want to say like, okay, yeah, you know, you have these quests and they have to be completed within a year you know or if it just doesn't have a time limit at all but if you did set just some amount of time well that's the kind of thing that can be rather stressful for better and for worse so when it comes to the actually sorry before i move on to lesser contracts there's one more just because i love me some implications so again does what they want as the price for a greater contract the last one I'll mention here, your youth. But then in parentheses, which the Fae can harvest and bestow on another creature. So I just was talking a couple of minutes ago about the idea of like the, you know, the older child and just that whole trope. But here it flat out says that they can just play with the idea of youth, that an Archfey can just transfer youth, that they could just take it and do whatever the hell they want with it there is a lot that can be done with that in world like if you consider the implications of that if you consider like rich nobles or warlocks or just you know people who are afraid of growing old there is a lot of people in our world that are continually questing you know for some way to just maintain their youth and in a D&D world where this is explicitly possible, people are willing to do crazy shit for a chance at regaining their youth. But to do it when it's not a chance, but an actual possibility on the table, that could be a very, very interesting like backstory for a big bad. That could just be a quest that even a beneficial uh, benevolent patron is offering 
there's a lot of storytelling potential in that one. But then when we go down to the lesser contracts, this is where we get into the more abstract things, which I don't care about. So some of the things on this, they might take your singing voice, uh, the color from your eyes, the memory of your first kiss. Ugh, I, I don't care. None of that is interesting to me. And to be honest, that doesn't feel like a price, really, for a D&D &D character, because you don't really care that much about most of those things in a D&D &D game. Like, unless you are very specifically a bard whose singing is their specialty, most characters wouldn't really care about that. There is only one here that I think does actually have some more interesting potential, which is your name. And then in parentheses, requiring you to choose a new one for yourself. See, this one is kind of boring as written, but I like thinking about the deeper, deeper implications. So let's say that you do lose your name. What does that mean if, say, your parents are alive? Do they not recognize you as their child anymore? Do you not, are you just not remembered by the people that you grew up with? That is a cost, and that is one that would have much more interesting potential storytelling. Or are you just that guy for forever and ever? Uh, yeah, see, that would, yeah, like there's a few different ways to take it. Like, or, yeah, or to actually just make it so that you are nameless and that no one is capable of just remembering your name and that you are just forever that guy. Like, that's the kind of thing, too, that could actually Never have invited to a party ever again. <laughs> or just, like, even, you know, you do great deeds, you help people, like, over the course of the campaign. Like, maybe in the past you, like, met someone and you hit it off and things seem to be going well, but then they just can't maintain that connection like there are ways to make that a cost and as written a lot of those just don't what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co mike rowe here with a radical idea if you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Then what's kind of fun is that they have an entire section on breaking contracts in terms of what the actual punishment is for doing so. Some of these are pretty fucked. So, whenever you try to speak, you bray like a donkey instead, which prevents you from, casting spell, uh, from speaking or casting spells with verbal components. So, the most just fucked up scene in Pokia... That words pinocchio where you were just you have the whole donkey scene just that was one of those 
childhood traumas for me. So that would definitely be something that would just scare me as a player to have that just described as happening to my character. Now, if somebody uses if someone uses like speak with animals, can and they communicate with you then? <laughs> that is an excellent question, actually. It does not say, so that would be left up to DM interpretation. I would say yes. Ba, ba, ba. An iron thorn is magically lodged in your chest. Every day you feel it move closer to your heart. If this effect is not ended within three days, you die and can't be revived for 5d12 days. Yeah, it's just like That's the Iron Man weird. movie. Yeah. So first off, that is very obviously Iron Man inspired. But then also just that if it's not ended, you die. But it's weird that they add the line, can't be revived for 5d12 days. So that means that there's a chance that you might go past like the 10-day limit of Raised Dead. Like, is that supposed to be the consequence here of having that as a chance? That's my guess. It's, it's weirdly phrased. I'm not a big fan of that one. To be honest, the lesser contracts section actually has some of the more amusing to me penalties. Your appearance becomes more toad-like. Warty skin, bulbous eyes, large mouth, and webbed digits. This transformation has no game effects. So you just turn frog-like, like no mechanical changes. But again, you can have a lot of fun in D&D just through cosmetic descriptive differences, even if they don't have a mechanical influence. So I appreciate that one a lot. Actually, another one is also straight out of Peter Pan. Your shadow does not match your movements, which other creatures find unsettling. That's pretty cool. But I just thought of something, can... like, what if you're playing a bully bug, and then, you know, you <laughs> turn more toad-like? Would anybody even notice? Honestly, if I were a DM, I might just re-roll on that one. <laughs> or, again, like, the whole, well, not the whole, but a big part of Faye is, like, appropriate or ironic punishments. So, maybe for a bully bug, they, they'd get turned more human-looking. They get turned more toad-looking, and then they go back to their village, and everybody's like, oh, you got You're so much now. more handsome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know about that. that. That would definitely be something for a DM to decide. So, what can you tell me about the attitude that Faye are typically described as having towards non-Faye? Uh... I mean, in most stories, it's usually uh, condescending. Yeah, it's usually not great. So I mentioned earlier that there's a whole description on like the uh, the mood and the or not mood, but like about the rules of the Feywild in terms of hospitality and such. So people who don't do things that they're supposed to do or break a rule in some fashion. So this isn't a contract, but instead a fake curse. And there are a number of things here to just have some rather interesting possibilities. Spells can't restore hit points to you. So this is a very blatant mechanical effect 
and one that is honestly pretty goddamn dangerous. So that would mean that while they have that curse, that they would only be able to recover just by short and long rests. Or potions, I guess, would still work, since that's not a spell. But the lack of, you know, active healing magic, that is actually pretty dangerous. On the other hand, more dangerous, Moonlight burns your flesh. You take 1d10 radiant damage when you start your turn in Moonlight. Well, shit. That would really fucking suck. Although, of course, my brain immediately goes to the worst type of irony. Could you imagine a fake cursed a vampire with that? So they can't go in sunlight or moonlight? That would just suck. Uh, actually, that would actually make a kind of amusing uh, patron quest. Like, imagine if you have a situation where you know, there's this vampire that is just trapped and just cannot ever step out of their house because they have such a curse. So they basically hire on the party just to try to get something that they need to remove the Moonlight curse. That would make a pretty interesting story because there might be some rather significant rewards on the table, but then if they do go through with it and succeed then all of a sudden that vampire is now able to get out once again. Like, I like that kind of dilemma in a D&D game, and that's the kind of thing that I would have quite a lot of fun with. <sighs> and it then goes on to just a description about just fey abodes, but I don't care. So now let's move on to the actual other useful fun stuff here. Archfeys. So, an Archfey just is going to be a powerful Fey creature. But exactly what that means is actually much, much more variable than the other Arches. Like an Arch Wizard, powerful wizard. Arch Druid, powerful druid. An Archfey, though, that really is more variable. Because Fey is a creature type, it's not a class. So this is something that can have a lot of different possibilities. So there are a lot of different options about just the form that they can have, the powers that they can wield, the domain that their existence creates. It's really, really versatile. So in terms of the actual statistics, there is a section here. Just choose a stat block of a CR5 or higher creature that is a beast, elemental, fey, giant, humanoid, or plant. Change the creature's type to fey, give it an intelligence of at least 10 and some languages, and then you also give it the following traits. Fey Rebirth. If the Archfey dies in its Domain of Delight, it revives with all its hit points 1d4 days later in a safe location in that domain. And it gets the typical 3-a-day legendary resistance. So that Fey Rebirth is interesting, because unlike a Lich's Phylactery, which 
just by its existence is a vulnerability, the Fae just has to be in its domain to be able to just forever be reborn? That is awesome and terrifying. So that means to kill an Archfey, you would have to lure it out of its domain somehow and be able to kill it elsewhere. And even if you do manage to kill it out, it is an Archfey, so it is likely some rather powerful creature. And there is a whole bunch of charts here, which I freaking love, because it talks a lot about exactly how to make your Archfey, to design them, to design their personality, to give some aspects to their appearance, to give information on their domain. I love me some charts. So just to go through a couple of the things here that are fun, Archfey's presentation. So this is in terms of like how it basically will present itself to appear. So does it present itself as some cute creature? Does it present itself as like some ancient, you know, gnarled being? Uh, is it just floral? Is it the kind of thing where they just have like, you know, an elven form with, you know, flowers for hair? Like there is no end of the possibilities here. But there is one that I do want to particularly point out. Monstrous. The Archfey has a monstrous form. For example, they might resemble an enormous spider, a hydra whose head whose heads look like oversized elf heads with fangs, or any other horrific form you can imagine. See, anytime there is the phrase you can imagine, I'm probably gonna be pretty happy. So with that though. The idea that it's not just going to be elves and fae and like that type of image that is typical in people's heads. So they give the specific example here of an enormous spider. And I'm just going to stick with that because that actually is further detailed later on in this PDF. And I really do like the example that they gave here just because it really does turn things on how you would expect like what would you expect of a giant spider archfey <laughs> sorry i was muted <laughs> uh-huh what was the question what would you expect of a giant spider archfey Ah. Uh... Hmm. Hmm. Something to suck out your inner. <laughs> yep, like spiders do. Yeah. Or some sort of so, sticky traps. Yeah, that would check out. What about personality wise? Hmm. I mean, I haven't really talked to a lot of spiders. <laughs> they they seem pretty standoffish. So, the one that they actually do describe here is named Yarn Spinner. So, as a spider, of course, it does have the ability to weave webs, 
but it takes that name a little bit more literally. It, it is a benevolent, monstrous, enormous spider that loves collecting storybooks and just telling stories. So Yarn Spinner, literally a storytelling giant spider. Or, excuse me, I should rephrase, not just giant spider, you know. It is a huge spider, Archfey, that's really goddamn powerful, is, you know, legendary resistance fey rebirth because Archfey, but seems like it's described as just a very nice being that likes just telling stories and will even help people help people out by weaving like a 10 foot hut to just give people respite from not great conditions like a actually again i'm gonna just send you a picture and i want you to just describe this please Nope, never mind. It's a PDF. I can't copy paste it. That's right. Shucks. Well, anyway. Screenshot it. That's a good idea. There you go. Nope. <laughs> Would you care to describe that to the audience, please? This is a big fuck off spider reading a book to a bunch of little forest critters. Yeah, big fuck off spider is right. That thing is also a very big, big book. I mean, that that it book is. is bigger than the fox. Well, I mean, if you consider like the size of certain wizard tomes, like D and D has just overly large books at times. Man, it's true. Everything's handwritten. Yeah, I mean, hell, think uh, you know the book in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone movie. The there's a huge fucking book that Hermione just pulls out with like, ah, right, I read about Nicholas Fumel ages ago. And it's just this like 18 inch by one foot, just massive book. And that could very well be larger than a fox. Yeah, well, maybe if the Harry Potter wizards used any of the muggle inventions like the printing press. Don't be silly. That's a muggle invention. There's no way it could be better than wizards. Ah, uh, dude, <laughs> <laughs> wizards would get destroyed if they went to war with muggles man yes yes they would but that's a conversation for another day but anyway but i did want to point out just by giving the example of yarn spinner that you can have massively different personalities to your archway and they actually do have a d8 chart specifically for that you can have them be benevolent or covetous you know or mischievous or whatever the hell you want them to be like but then there's yet another chart so another thing that is a pretty common trope of a is that a lot of them do seem to have an obsession with something so one example just from you know disney not from dnd you have you know the evil queen and you know mirror mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all to have an obsession with beauty, whether that is just shunning anything ugly or just killing anything that might be perceived as more beautiful than them. There's a lot of different ways of how one might make use of that. Or a version that could be kind of funny now that I think about it. 
imagine if you did have a bullywug archfey in which the more frog-like, the more beautiful. So anything non-bullywug is just considered hideous and just a thing to be shunned. So you might have this, you know, Feywild domain just full, that is ruled by bullywugs, but the elves are the lowest class citizens there due to their, you know, quote-unquote hideousness. There's, there's some fun storytelling to be had just with just variations of that idea. Ooh. So then they get into more of the magical side of things in terms of what is the signature magic of the Archfey. So they do give a couple of specific examples. Like if you do have a more chaotically inclined one, then maybe just every you know action that they take will have something off the wild magic surge table for you know wild magic sorcerers. But it is something that, again, there's a list here, but also just in, encourage the just incorporation of anything that just is appropriate for the character that you're trying to make. But there are a couple here, though, that definitely do catch my eye. Simulacra. The Archfey can make magical copies of themselves and other creatures. These simulacra are similar to those created by the simulacrum spell. So the fact that they can just do that without the actual requirements of the spell, that is horrifically dangerous. Because, as a quick reminder, Simulacrum has any spellcasting ability that the original creature copied had, they just aren't able to regenerate their spell slots. So if you have an Archfey that is just being served by 30 copies of themselves, then in terms of offensive and defensive capabilities, that's 30 Archfey in that location, and that is not a thing to be fucked with. On the other hand, maybe you have it more you know, chaotically inclined individual, and that maybe they use the simulacra to just live out different aspects of their life or different possibilities. So you might have, like, the child version of themselves that's just kind of wandering the realm, just getting into mischief. Maybe you do have, like, the old crone version that is, you know, just offering counsel or just being a pain in the ass just for the sake of trolling. Like, there's, again, no limit to the angles that can be taken just with that one ability, which is just something fun. Then, there's still yet more in terms of, we mentioned contracts, we mentioned curses, but as we mentioned with the existence of Warspinner, there is benevolent options as well, where you actually might get a magical gift of some sort. And maybe that is more literal, because in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there are supernatural gifts that are indeed a category here where an archway might bestow one of the charms under the supernatural gifts category in the DMG. Or they might offer some other potentially nifty things. So lore. With a touch, the Archfey magically imparts useful knowledge about a particular subject of the Archfey's choice. This knowledge might be permanent, or it might fade over time. So the fact that that is variable 
explicitly, I do appreciate. Because again, the previous version where it mentioned explicitly in a few days it goes away, not so fun. But with this option, it is, it might be permanent or it might fade. So this could be interpreted as giving knowledge in a skill. This might be something to just actually mechanically influence a character, or it might just be something like maybe they just know how to, you know, forage a little bit better in the Feywild, or maybe they just have knowledge about just a couple of different creatures that they've come across, or again, the open-endedness is a good thing. But it can also go a step farther with training. I'm fairly sure I've gone on record a few times at this point about how much I despise training as described in the Dungeon Master's Guide and Xanathar's, and it, it just doesn't have great rules. But here, with a touch, the Archfake grants the benefit of months of special training. So it could just do that. And that could take the form of a feat that could be just some kind of fun or silly trait of some sort. Again, open-endedness. Yay. Now, the last one here, though, is one that just appeals to just me personally the most. Transformation. The Archfey offers one free casting of the true polymorph spell, which they can cast without the material components. The spell's effect can be made permanent if you wish. Do you happen to know the biggest weakness of the true polymorph spell? Time. Nope. Mm, I got no idea. <laughs> the fact that it is a spell and can therefore be dispelled. Oh, yeah. I knew that. So, this does not say that it just makes the true polymorph cast until dispelled. This is one of the only instances ever in 5th edition that explicitly mentions a possibility of making a spell permanent. So permanent, as in it simply is. It can no longer be dispelled. That is now the true form of the creature that has been transformed. That is massive in its implications. So there are all kinds of just tricks and guides online. I'm pretty sure I even mentioned it uh, back in the Immortality episode of people just using true polymorph as one of the potential paths to immortality. So what would be real fun with this, though, is that if you do just true polymorph into a metallic dragon, which then has the polymorph ability to take on a humanoid form, then that is now officially the best way for a person to actually become a dragon. Which also means that if you do incorporate this document into your world building, that that is now explicitly a thing that is magically possible. So this makes that canonically possible, and that is fucking massive.
So uh, that was a lot about the Feywild and the Archfey, but I haven't actually talked a whole lot about the Domain of Delights themselves. So it is a very fuzzy description. It explicitly says that the domain can be as big or small as you want it to be, and that it's often a correlation with the power of the Archfey, but it doesn't have to be. So this is part of where the chaotic, non-linear logic of the Feywild just, to be honest, just confuses me personally. This is just where my mind is just not well wired for this aspect. Excuse me. On the other hand, what I do appreciate is that they do offer some rather interesting charts here. So first things first, the geographical features of the domain. A colossal gnarled tree, its trunk riddled with passageways, halls, chambers and staircases so for a closed domain that's awesome to imagine if you imagine something like you know the tree from avatar just any just other massive tree in fiction of which there's a not inconsiderable amount then that's kind of cool to think about that there could just be really really giant tree that is just the inside is carved out or maybe there's just you know a city among and between the branches but yeah, just giant tree is just cool to think about, and still, just that alone is also pretty flexible. But then there's also the option of another just kind of classic uh, fey option, the crystal castle that sings in sunlight or moonlight. Just a kind of neat thing to think about. But they do mention the features here, but it really can just be anything that you want or can conceive of. If you want it to be, you know, giant swamp, if you want it to be an entire just plane of whatever scale you conceive of, like, you can do that. There is not a limit on how this is defined, so it is whatever you want and need it to be for the story that you're trying to tell. Uh, one also kind of neat thing, just as we mentioned that the Archfey can have just different types of personalities than just what you might expect. The theme of their Domain of Delight is something that you can consider. Is it something that is reflective of them in terms of mirroring the way that they are? Or is it reflective of them in terms of the opposite of them? So maybe you have a benevolent Archfey who just has a horrifically dangerous domain that is just like everything is alive and trying to kill you. All the plants are alive. You know, the water is animated and tries to drown you. Everything is just horrifically dangerous because it is just like the reflection and all the negativity that is not present in the archway. Or the other way around, where maybe you do have that colossally just evil, dangerous archway but the domain itself is actually a pretty awesome place. Like maybe that is like the true domain of delight, where it is just a wonderful place. Actually, you know what? Uh, Hansel and Gretel. That would be a good way to describe that possibility. So imagine if you do have a domain of delight where it is just everything is made out of 
you know, candy and edible and it's wonderful. But the archfey who rules over it is, you know, a child eating, you know, hag to use the D&D term. Like, you could absolutely just play with many, many different varieties. And that really is just something that I do appreciate just in this Domains of Delight document. I would strongly prefer if it was actually part of the book, even if it was like just an appendix. But even that aside, Domains of Delight and Archfey are so variable that as much as I do dislike a lot of the more chaotic options and possibilities, there is a lot of value to be had in reading through and understanding some of the possibilities to introduce a little bit of delight into your D&D world. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.